Hello and welcome to the Sobre Mesa podcast. This August we've slowed down production um, as, well, we're both busy and I can I suppose you can appreciate that we want to captivate the uh, Spanish culture of slowing down in August here on the podcast. Not much to say really apart from that it still remains bloody hot in this country and I suppose every summer there is a, a certain Spanish controversy uh, last year it was Alberto Garzón um, being misquoted in a Guardian article about uh, eating better quality meat. Uh, so that kicked off Meatgate with Pedro Sanchez commenting that he likes his steak a punto. But this time, or this this summer, it's Isabel Ayuso and Pedro Sanchez's turn to create a political scandal that will entertain the press for another month and that was Pedro Sanchez coming to a press conference without a tie on asking people not to wear a tie and to try and save energy by not turning on the air conditioning so much in the evenings Uh, here he was mainly referring to businesses uh, and shops asking them to regulate the uh, air conditioning after 10 o'clock at night um, to play a part in in trying to lower the energy prices. This resulted in some very funny pictures on the internet of Spaniards at the beach with just their bathing shorts and a tie on. Uh, And as a result of all of this, Isabel Ayuso, the president of Madrid, has gone and said, you know, we will not be implementing these energy saving uh, measures here in the community of Madrid. But other than that, in in the Spanish context this August, everything is rather quiet uh, now. But for the most of July and, and the beginning of August, there were uh, a, a huge amount of forest fires or, or wildlife fires due to the increase in climate change and, and increase in temperatures. Uh, people have lost their lives and many people have lost their homes because of this. Uh, I even had a close call in my own neighborhood because I live not too far away from a a small forest park that also set on fire. So thank you to the uh, firefighters of Leganes for putting that out. Uh, As I said, many people have had to evacuate their homes because of this uh, all over the country. And uh, it's tragic. This month we we are we have two interviews for you. One on Spaniards that after the Civil War left Spain, went to France, and ended up fighting in the British Army. So that's my interview today with Sean Scullion, who is a person writing a book on this uh, this topic, and it's very it's very interesting to hear the lives of these people after the Spanish Civil War. And in a couple of weeks I will be bringing you another interview regarding Scottish people that joined the International Brigades and a discussion around the context of that. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Sean here. So with me today on the Sobre Mesa podcast I have Sean Scullion. Uh, Sean is a Hispanist. Welcome to Sobre Mesa, Sean. Hi, yes. Hola. ¿Qué tal? 
How you doing? Yeah, good. Uh, hot, hot out here in Naples where I'm based. But yeah, no, not, not too bad, thanks. So, Sean, can you tell us what your... Because you have a very niche uh, part of history and it's very personal as well, right? Can you just tell us a little bit about your project? Yeah, so uh, I'm currently writing a book on Spaniards who served in the British Army. Um, lots of people know that there were obviously Spaniards who served uh, in various uh, ways during the Second World War, the French, uh, obviously, there was, uh, the, I mean, we're talking about Republicans, uh, Spaniards here, um, and there were other countries that they served in, but n- hardly anybody knows that there were over a thousand Spaniards serving in the British Army. So. I've been researching that for the last uh, six years now. Um, quite, it's kind of taken over my life slightly, but uh, but that's what I've been doing. I've, I've got a, a, a background uh, in Spain because I was brought up in Spain. I lived in Spain in the 70s and early 80s um, uh, in the uh, in the Balearics. I've also lived in Madrid um, and uh, I've got a degree in Spanish. So, you know, the, the Spanish Civil War, especially that period, has always been something that I've been fascinated in studies quite extensively I do I do you know battlefield tour guiding things like that but um but the the topic came up um a long time uh you know quite a while back when uh uh uh, my my best friend from Spain who lives in Extremadura he got hold of a book for me secondhand by a guy called uh, Daniel Arasa and Daniel Arasa he uh he wrote a book called Los Españoles de Churchill and it talks a lot about Spaniards who served in the British Armed Forces, and it was written in the late 80s, early 90s. And basically, I went, "This is mad." <laughs> I, I'm an officer in the British Army. I never heard about this. Wow. Uh, and I thought, well, I won't do everyone. I'll just specialise and think about people who are in the British Army. So, so this, this, that's what my research is all about, and this, and telling their story because, as far as I'm concerned, these people really need their story needs to be told because nobody knows it. Hmm. I mean, people often talk about the international brigades, you know, people from all over, you know, come from America, Italy, Russia, Britain, France. Uh, and there's been lots of written about Giles Tremlett's new book, recent book, uh, The International Brigades is huge. You know, there's memorials everywhere to the international brigades, hugely known. And then there's the other side of it, which is like the the Blue Division, which was the the Spaniards that that went to fight uh, with the Nazis against the Russians, uh, that's still very uh, polemical in in Spain. Um, Very much so, yeah. uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of these people were refugees that went to France, um, and I think Africa as well. But can you tell us a bit about what their life was like? Like A a lot of people know about what happened at the end of the Spanish Civil War, La Retirada, Place. There were there were several exoduses of of Spaniards, Repro- Republican Spaniards during the Spanish Civil War. But the biggest was at the end in 1939. A little bit of a debate of how many people exactly crossed over into France and how many ended up in North Africa. But if we say roughly just under half a million half a million Spaniard Spanish people ended up uh, leaving the country at the end of the Spanish Civil War. Add that to you know several other thousand that didn't go back during the Spanish War. And you're, and you're talking, you know, over half a million. So half a million exiled Spaniards, over half of those ended up returning to Spain shortly after because they were families, you know, they were young children, mm. but they were, we, we know they were, but the men of the fighting age never went back. And these were mostly men who had been in the, in the Republican army, and, you know, and there were other, there were whole, there were whole families that stayed in exile, but, 
um, the, the, these men of a fighting age ended up being um, sent to uh, what, the, what they called at the time concentration camps, the centros de concentración, campos de concentración, and the French set up a whole series of these camps in southern France and in North Africa and sent these Spaniards to them. And, and, and a lot of the, the families that went with them were, were, separ were separated and sent to other camps, and a lot of these Spaniards uh, of this fighting age ended up being concentrated in specific camps quite close to the French border and, and in North Africa. A great example of uh, large amounts of the uh, Republican Navy, for example, ending up in, in mm -hmm. Oran in, um, in, in North Africa, in Algeria. But what ended up happening was a lot of the, you know, there's lots of stories about what happened with these camps. These were set up in, in the winter of 1939. So you know, we talk about a lot of deprivation. There's, there's a lot of accounts. There's a lot, a lot of well-known stories, you know, written at the time, um, and, uh, and uh, you know about the, the the privations that a lot of these individuals went through. Um, but by by so let's say April 1939, a lot of these Spaniards um, um, uh, had, had moved back. But uh, the, the, these Spaniards of the fighting age were given basically five choices. They could go back to Spain. Uh, they could um, sign up um, to join um, the, the French kind of war machine by joining um, labor battalions, uh, Compagnie de Travailleurs Etrangères. Uh, uh, they could um, uh, work generally in, in industry and other things like that in the French kind of um, uh, war machine as such. Uh, or they could sign up for the French Royal Legion or they could um, volunteer for... Um, uh, volunteer marching battalions, bataillon de marche de volontaires étrangères, and a lot of the Spaniards did that, and uh, the numbers built up. And so, so by the time we get to um, the outbreak of World War II, we're talking about fifty-five to sixty thousand Spaniards who are wow. who are in some way uh, uh, serving in the French war machine, whether it be in uh, whether it be in um, uh, labor companies, Compagnie de Travailleurs Etrangers, or in the French Foreign Legion, or, or in or in these uh, battalions of, of uh, marching battalions of, of volontaires étrangers, and they, they you know, um, if they were in in the military, uh, pure kind of army side, the Foreign Legion, or in the um, uh, volunteer battalions, they either signed up for the duration de la guerre or for a five-year contract, and of course. We get to the point where um, a lot of these people then ha had to make very, very big choices, not just initially to join, uh, because that was, you know, the, the choice for most of them was, I am either going back to Spain or I join one of these organizations because that's the, the better of the two, uh, lesser of the two evils. But also by the time the war came along, obviously, um, they were very heavily involved and used quite heavily by the French. Um, but actually, when we get to May, June 1940, we get to a situation where it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't work out so well for the French. It's, very, it's a very fluid situation. Uh, a lot of these Spaniards, the majority of these Spaniards are based in, in, in France, obviously. Some of them are overseas, some of them are in the Middle East, some of them are in North Africa, um, in, the French, in the French units or in French um, uh, uh, labor, labor companies. But actually, the majority are in France, and you, you've even got cases of uh, of Spaniards who were in labour companies at Dunkirk uh, and places mm. like that. So mm. they, you know, the British come across Spaniards at Dunkirk. There, are, I've come across stories of um, uh, interviews with British servicemen who uh, saw Spaniards in rowing boats and other ships, 
um, at Dunkirk. Um, but actually, the reality is, is that not that many Spaniards got to stay in Britain once they got across the water. Um, but actually, the first example really is of um, a number 185 um, Spanish Labour Company. And 185 Labour Spanish Labour Company was formed as a French Labour Company initially, or part of the French Armed Forces. And it was formed from a camp called uh, Gurs, which is quite close to Bayonne. And it held mostly Basque and uh, Republican Air Force um, uh, inter internees. And uh, the 250 or so Spaniards who made up that company ended up um, being seconded to the British Expeditionary Force at the beginning of 1940 and moved to San, in the San Nazaire area. And unfortunately for them, they were caught up in the invasion and um, the, the, the company basically ceased to exist in June, uh, towards the end of June 1940. But 16 Spaniards were able to get away and jump on a ship to Britain and they, the majority of them, ended up joining the British Army. So they're, they're probably the first people right. up joining the British Army uh, actually in Britain. And, and, and they were all put on the books of the Auxiliary Pioneer Corps, we call it, which was basically the equivalent of these labour companies that the French had set up. Um, you've also got a group of Spaniards that ended up um, uh, in the French Foreign Legion or, 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 or these labour, um, or these, sorry, volunteer battalions. And um, quite a lot of them, uh, 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 especially the volunteer battalions, they, they, end, they end up getting uh, taken as prisoners of war in France in, 19, in 1940. But some of the battalions, and one in particular, is sent to the Middle East, um, and you've got, uh, and, and they were then subsumed into the French Foreign Legion uh, elements in the Middle East. They weren't members of the French Foreign Legion, but their battalion was part of French Foreign Legion uh, regiments. Um, and you've also got Spaniards who were physically in the French Foreign Legion, the, the most famous um, uh, of, of that group of the, the kind of French Foreign Legion groupings are the ones that joined the 13th Half Brigade of the French. And they ended up in Narvik in the summer of 1940, fighting the Germans along with the British. And that uh, Half Brigade got sent back to France uh, uh, in, in May, uh, only spent a few days in, um, in, in France in June. And then ended up in Britain in in uh, in late June, and uh, all of all of the all of those French foreign legionnaires were sent along with a lot of the other French to a place called Trenton Park in the Midlands near Stafford. And the story of of the there were about five to six hundred Spaniards in that in that half brigade, so there were a lot, uh, um, and they fought really well in Narvik. But actually, the reality was was that. And they attempted to leave uh, uh, when uh, de Gaulle actually uh, came to inspect them at the end of June in Trenton Park. Um, and then they were put in Stafford Prison. It's all well documented in um, Hansard in the parliamentary um, kind of record. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, just at the end of uh, a couple of a few days later, uh, the French Foreign Legion members were um, uh, ordered to go back to um, Africa, which is where obviously the French Foreign Legion was based. And they ended up um, being uh, escorted under guard to Avonmouth, where they then had a sit-down protest, uh, a bit of a standoff. And actually, in the end, um, the French Foreign Legion um, powers that be said, OK, um, shoot one out of every three for, for encourager les autres. And then the British stepped in and said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And those 300 or so Spaniards were able to stay in the UK. And pretty much to a man, they all signed up. The auxiliary pioneer corps ended up joining those um, 
those uh, 16 or so. In fact, there wasn't 16, it was about, it, there were 16, but not all of those 16 signed up because mm. some of them ended up working in armaments factories and some of those 300 do as well. So, so that's the kind of starting point. That's the first wave. There is a second wave, which is a lot of Spaniards who end up joining in 42, 43 and 44. And most of those, the majority of those are all in North Africa who are freed from camps in North Africa um, because they've been, um, uh, uh, I told you, I think I mentioned earlier, there are about five waves of uh, people who, who of, of, of Republicans leaving the country uh, mm. during and at the end of the Spanish Civil War. And as part of that fifth wave, you've got a lot of people going into France, but you've got 15,000 plus um, um, Spaniards who end up in North Africa, and they're all promptly put in prison, um, prison kind of concentration stroke, uh, prison, prison, prisons as such, uh, labor, labor penal companies. And a, a lot of them end up joining the, the British Army, initially the Pioneer Corps, um, at the end of 1942, in the beginning of 1943, after the Allies invade North Africa, um, after uh, Operation Torch, as it was called, which was obviously commanded command and controlled by Eisenhower from Gibraltar. Um, and they end up joining, and some of those, quite a lot of them, in fact, several, several hundred, end up in the UK by the end of the war. So you've got those two waves, um, and, and that's really the, the start of the story for these individuals. So there are several groups that go in different directions. You've, you've been following about well, over 900 of these people now. Um, <clears throat> some ended up fighting for the French, others became prisoners. Uh, how did their paths go in different directions and where do they end up? Um, but also, are there any accounts that really stick out for you? Yeah, so, so as I said earlier, you've got these disparate groups. Uh, and the irony of it is, is that quite a lot of them end up all in the United Kingdom at the end of the war, which I think is quite amazing, really. You know, I think it's more luck than judgment. But but you've got the you've got the the guys who are in the number one Spanish company. They've they've joined the French Foreign Legion, probably mostly uh, in the camps in southern France uh, in 1939. They fought in Narvik. They've had that dispute with the French uh, when the armistice was signed in, in the summer of 1940, and then they joined the British Army, signed up. Uh, they're formed up in Westwood Ho in the West Country, um, and uh, number one Spanish company uh, starts existing straight away. And their story is quite interesting in, in as far as actually by the summer of 19, uh, sorry, by the December 1940, they're not actually do doing much pioneering. I mean, pioneers do building work and you know, supporting supporting the force behind the front lines. You know, they're, they're right. doing, you know, from anything from, you know, construction to working in warehouses and stuff like that. But actually, they do, they, they do end up doing some of that, some of that, you know, um, before the, the, the Christmas of 1940, because there's an imminent invasion and all that. But actually, the reality is, is that um, uh, no sooner have they been formed, you know, they've only been going four or five months, and actually, um, the SOE uh, realised that uh, one of the next places that could be attacked could be Gibraltar, and that would mean that the Germans would have to invade Spain, and they would need uh, to have Spanish speakers to potentially fight behind the enemy lines. So over 140 of those 250 members of the number one Spanish company end up getting 
uh, in one form or another, SOE training over the next two and a half years. Takes it all, takes them all the way through to 19. What's SOE? Sorry. So Special Operations Executive. Oh wow! Um, it was set up um, on the behest of, of, of Winston Churchill to set the world on fire, and, and, and basically it was it was to carry out clandestine operations behind enemy mm. lines or in occupied enemy occupied territory. SOE is obviously the most famous for a lot of the work it did in France, but it is pretty famous for, you know, lots of other areas, you know, the, the Balkans, you know. And in this case, it was going to be Spain. So uh, all of these Spaniards, uh, over 140, are uh, in small groups. They Group by group, they go through training. Um, and um, some of them are, you know, put put to the sidelines, you know, because they're not they're not good enough. But, but some of them, a, a group of Probably over over well yeah over thirty end up being um, fully trained you know parachute training quite a lot of them radio handling and they're going to be forming part of these small clandestine groups that are going to be parachuted or inserted by by ship into into various parts of Spain meet up with the partisan resistance and also have some British uh, Spanish speaking officers with them as well and the irony of course is that one of them was a was one of these British officers uh, was uh, was uh, somebody who'd fought in the Spanish Civil War, but on Franco's side. Oh Jesus, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so there's uh, there's a couple of stories there. You've also got Phil uh, Kim Philby, for example. Um, he's part of the training team that trains oh, wow. the Spaniards. He writes the uh, he writes some of the reports on these Spaniards, and of course Ian Fleming, the famous Ian Fleming, um, uh, James Bond fame. He, he is actually the person that's coming up with some of these operations, uh, thinking up of some of these operations that the Spanish were going to be potentially taking part in. So the story is quite incredible. It's an incredible mm. story. I mean, sadly, none of the Spaniards were used in, 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 in as far as they never were sent to Spain because there was never no requirement because Spain was never invaded. But some of them did end up working for either SOE or Special Forces in 1944. I've got a few accounts of, of uh, most of them were radio um, handlers. They were dealing with the transmissions behind enemy lines after the D-Day landings. So there, is, there, is some, there are some accounts, and one of those people is the father of um, uh, Alfred Molina. I don't know if you've heard of Alfred Molina, famous actor um, in Spider-Man, the octopus in Spider-Man, uh, things like that. So uh, Alfred Molina's father was one of these people who uh, who was um, doing um, a lot of radio work, communications work. So that that that's the Spanish uh, number one company uh, or number one Spanish company. But actually, they also uh, deployed because a lot of the members of the company were returned back to the company after doing SOB training. They did deploy and they did land in Normandy in August 1944, so after D-Day, and then they were used um, mostly in forestry work. They did a lot of work in forestry. They did a lot of their training in forestry with the New Zealand forestry engineer companies, forestry companies that were sent to the UK in 1941, 42 and 43. And they ended up doing a lot of work with wood, working, um, cutting down uh, large amounts of wood, be able to support the force as it moved through France. And then eventually they ended up in the, uh, in the area of the Ardennes uh, to the east of Brussels. And that's where they finished the war. And they ended up um, returning back to the UK uh, uh, in the autumn of 1945 and were disbanded in 1946. And the majority of the members of that company stayed in the United Kingdom at the end of the war. 
So there's mm. some, and there's a couple of interesting individuals there. You've got uh, Manuel Espallargas. Manuel Espallargas, he, um, he was from Teruel. He fought in the Battle of Teruel. He was in several battles in the Spanish Civil War. He uh, became a sergeant in the number one Spanish company. He was one of the senior NCOs, senior non-commissioned officers, who was trained to be an SOE agent as well. Got injured in a parachute training accident, uh, but he returned to the company and ended up, you know, uh, working all the way through to the end of the war. He was given a King's commendation um, in, during the war. You've got a couple of other individuals um, who are who are really interesting. Um, uh, Probably the two of two of the most interesting stories in a negative way are people who uh, decided they were going to sell their story uh, on being men trained by the SOE. Uh, one of those ended up actually going to the Spanish embassy in London. Duque de Alba, Brenda Franco, obviously was running the embassy then. And uh, and therefore Franco got to hear about these uh, Spaniards being trained. So that, that's quite that's quite a couple of interesting stories there. Mm. And then there's plenty of other stories. One of the original guys who went, who was in 185 um, Spanish Labour Company, a guy called Antonio Grande, he uh, he he ended up being trained by the SOE as well, but um, and he ended up being up being a physical training instructor instead, uh, and he settled in the UK at the end of the war as well, and um, and then ended up going back to Spain at the end, of, well when Franco died, as was the case with some of these, but we'll we'll talk about that a bit later on. So that's the number one Spanish company. The next fascinating story is um, 50 Middle East Commando. You've got your 63 individuals who are in the French Foreign Legion or in the one of these um, uh, volunteer marching battalions, and they they cut across and they eventually by August 1940 they become members of um, 50 Middle East Commando, newly formed, and they go through a great deal of training. Uh, they get deployed on operations as commandos after the commando order has been signed by uh, Churchill to form the commandos. 50, 51 and 52 Middle East commanders were formed in the Middle East, as well as commanders being set up and formed in the United Kingdom. Uh, by, the, uh, by the beginning of 1941, um, it's decided that the, 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 the commanders trained in, in, in the United Kingdom, mostly in Scotland, uh, would be sent to the Middle East as well. And 50 Middle East commander then gets merged with 52 Middle East commando to become one of the battalions in a, in a force set up by a, a, a colonel, soon to become general, and then gen, uh, sort of brigadier, and then become general, a man called Bob Laycock. And the, uh, the, a lay, lay force was set up in um, March 1941. And uh, two of those battalions ended up being sent to Crete when the, uh, Crete was invaded by the Germans in, at the end of May, well, in May and early June 1941. 41. And uh, the 63 Spaniards uh, were in D Battalion of lay force. And what ended up happening was, was that not all of the, the Spaniards deployed. There were a few that had been injured um, in, in, in other operations and in training. Uh, but the majority did deploy. And about 50% of those Spaniards were taken prisoner as prisoners of war. Uh -huh. uh, one of those uh, interesting ones, uh, stories about the, the ones who were taken prisoner of war, 37 that were taken prisoner of war. Um, uh, two kind of stories with that. One is, um, once they were taken prisoner, they were sent to Thessaloniki. And when they were in Thessaloniki, obviously the Spaniards were really, really paranoid about being sent back to Spain. So the medical officer, who was a New Zealand officer, who'd fought in the International Brigade, and this is where all these paths cross, it's quite incredible, really. Uh, uh, he said, well, that's easy. Just, just say that you're Gibraltarian. 
and then you're British, aren't you? It doesn't matter. So I've got I've got some of the original documents scanned in from the families of personal war records saying that these individuals were Gibraltarian. That's pretty, ah. pretty cool, really. Yeah. The second story is one of the uh, one of the uh, the Spaniards who was in um, in in British commando, Joaquin Fajardo. His son Tony Fajardo. He lives in London. He's had given me several stories, but his his father was one of these POWs, and uh, he ended up uh, uh, being uh, uh, in a in a camp where there were a couple of the Spaniards, not that many. They were spread out mostly, but he did end up working on uh, a railway line. And you know, you were talking about the Division Azul, the Blue Division earlier. Mm. He came across people in the Blue Division on a train going east. Wow. Whilst he was in Germany. I mean, you know, again, these paths crossings. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's a story of him throwing stones and swearing at the train. It's very <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, it's quite, quite an incredible story. So, um, so yeah, there's the, the 15 Middle East Commando. The big question is what happened to those 30 odd who managed to uh, escape Crete or who weren't in Crete because they were injured at the time. And that's where it gets a little complicated because not all of them, uh, they don't, they stay in the Middle East commandos for a while, but then the Middle East commandos cease to exist because the SAS and other types of units are being set up. That, you know, the, that's where the SAS kind of was born from, elements of that. Mm. And some of them do end up staying in the uh, and becoming members of the SAS. Two of them do. One of them is a guy called Francisco Geronimo, changed his name to Frank Williams. He escaped and evaded the Germans in Crete for 11 months before managing to get across the Mediterranean back uh, on a, on a SOE-provided uh, uh, ship that went in to rescue some of the, uh, the guys who were trying to escape from Crete. Um, he ended up joining the uh, uh, SAS, as did another member of the 5th Middle East Commando. But there are other members of um, the, the Middle East Commando who ended up Ironically, joining the Pioneer Corps in Algeria with the ones who were liberated from the camps in, um, in, in, in Algeria in 1942-1943, who ended up then in the United Kingdom in the Pioneer Corps. And there are some others who decided they were going to go back to being soldiers, proper, proper, proper soldiers, and uh, rejoin the Queen's Royal Regiment that they'd already they'd been on the books of very shortly when they were in 1940. And there's a couple of amazing stories of some of those who... Um, who fought in Italy and, and D-Day in Germany and things like that. So, wow. so, so that's 15 Middle East Commander. The majority, pretty much all of the members of 15 Middle East Commander, whether they be POWs or members of other element, elements of the British Army, by the end of the war, they end up in the United Kingdom, settling down there as well. A few of those members were quite quite strong members of these Battleship Services Association. And, and how was their life in the British Army? You know, how were they treated and how did they find it? Is there any interest in uh, observation? So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously you've got the story with a lot of the foreigners <coughs> uh, that joined the British Army at the beginning of the war. They were put on the books of the Pioneer Corps because they were treated as Reds, you know, because they were politically motivated um, uh, against fascism. So, you know, there was a lot of caution there. But, uh, but by 1942-1943, where, you know, the British Army did need personnel, a lot of the doors were left were opened. And there's lots of other stories of other nationalities, the biggest obviously being the Polish, but they were very much uh, a, a, an army within an army in their own right. When you're looking at other nationalities, like German-speaking nationalities, Eastern European, um, other Eastern European, the Czechs and others, 
um, you know, a lot of the Jewish groups as well, they, they were allowed to then join some of these other units. So that did happen with the Spaniards, and, and, and that was more in the second half of the Second World War rather than the first half. So, yeah, I mean, I think there was an element of caution, you know, there was a huge issue with the language barrier. There's loads of stories about the language barrier, of course, you know, and, you know, um, lots of kind of um, uh, stories where, you know, the British are trying to get the Spanish to speak English, the English <laughs> won't because, you know, one reason or another. The Spanish were left to themselves to a certain extent. So those who were in the 50th Middle East Commander, for example, they were all together in one company of the Middle East Commander. So there were, and, and the, the British very sensibly said, look, choose your own, choose your own um, corporals and sergeants. You know, you run yourselves, we'll speak in French. And it worked, it worked well, it worked well. There's some good accounts, you know, and, and, this, and you've got to remember, of course, is that a lot of these Spaniards had been fighting since 1936. So they were wow. actually very much uh, able to, uh, you know, get on with it, you know, albeit, you know, people still felt, especially at the beginning of the war, that they weren't necessarily of the same quality or, as British soldiers. But that, but that, but that I, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain you can say that that, that, is, that is something that was cancelled out, especially in the second half of the war. When you know you've got ten members of the SAS, for example, who are Spanish, you know, I mean, who would have ever thought that there were Spaniards who ended up in the SAS serving, you know, the last two mm. years of the war in the SAS? I mean, you know, that, that's an incredible story in its in its own right. So, so there are, yeah, there are there are lots of let's say kind of um, stories of, of 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 issues, but. At the end of the war, especially, a lot of these Spaniards were really keen to be to settle down in Britain. I mean, they didn't have any choice in, in the majority of cases because they, they couldn't go back to Spain. They didn't want to go anywhere else. They, a lot of them met English girls and, uh, or British girls and wanted to settle down. You know, they didn't just settle in England. They settled in other parts of the United Kingdom, Scotland, mm. Wales, you know. Uh, you know, so, so actually, you know, I, I think overall it's a fairly positive story in as far as they were assimilated and, and, and they still had their communities, you know, a lot of the exiled communities in Spain was, were, were, was in Britain, sorry, were very strong after, after the Second War, and obviously because there was a lot, a very strong movement against Franco in exile, um, you know, so, so you know, that there was still that element and you've got that element of the, the exiled community from the Spanish Civil War that had moved to Britain after mm. the war and you've got the exiled community of Spaniards who fought in the British army and then they meet in 1946 and they have that kind of, you know, that, that kind of get together. And, you know, Michael Portello's father was one of those, for example, mm. you know, so it's, it's quite incredible, really, in that way. So, yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think the, the, the British establishment still was very wary um, all, all the way through, um, which is understandable to a certain extent. Uh, it was war. Uh, you know, I understand that. Um, but I think the, the, the Spaniards, the, I think the thing that you can't take away from the Spaniards is they were very proud of having served in the British Army. And they were very keen. That They were very keen in many ways. There are a lot of stories I've come across, personal accounts of stories, where as far as they were concerned, that they loved the way that the, the, they loved the way that the British Army worked. And, you know, they got paid. They ate well. They had a decent uniform. Those who had been in the French Foreign Legion did not like being in the Legion that much. Right, okay. Because, you know, because they weren't treated in the same way. They weren't treated as adults. Uh-huh. The French Royal Legion was very much about the discipline and, and forging this kind of fighting tool to fight in the, in the French armed forces. Totally different way of setting things up. You know, 
you know, forged in North Africa and all of that. Whereas the British Army has, you know, we, we were a lot more humane in how we dealt with people. You know, I mean, there's a story of those 16 Spaniards, for example, who landed, um, ironically, on a, on a Polish ship from Saint-Nazaire. They landed in, uh, in Plymouth and the British didn't know what to do with them. But they knew that these guys had been supporting the British Expeditionary Force because they had ID cards and they were wearing British uniforms. So they put them up in the local barracks, in artillery barracks, and every week the, um, the British soldiers would have a whip around so they could buy them, they could buy cigarettes and, and, and go and buy food and stuff. And they were fed, fed anyway. But, you know, little things like that. I mean, it wasn't quite the same. There was, a, there was a bit of a shock for a lot of them when they ended up in France. And they did feel let down by France quite a bit. Whereas with the British, they found it was a very different, different setup. But I mean, there were frustrations and there were things that weren't dealt very well with, you know, well, weren't dealt with very well by the British let's be honest you know we, we did the same with other nationalities as well but but you know overall I think you know I would say it was a fairly positive experience obviously mm. um but you know uh, uh the allies especially were very keen to to take a lot of this um uh manpower on because it meant that then there were certain things they didn't have to worry about when it came to manpower in other areas, you know. And of course, a lot of these Spaniards wanted to continue this fight. They wanted to continue the fight against fascism. So for them, it was very important that they did carry on fighting and they'd already had that experience of killing fascists in the Spanish Civil War. So why not keep it going? I mean, obviously they were let down. They felt very let down by the British at the end of the war because they thought that Franco would be next, but that didn't happen. But that's, mm. an, that's another story in itself, really. And I mean, my other, my last question for you really is: How does a lot of their experiences in the British Army and things? But was it connected to? Was there a lot of connection with Franco? Did he know about these Spaniards in the British Army or in the French camps? And and was there any sort of connection in during this time in the war and afterwards with Spain, or or was it very much? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, you've got um, you've got. As I say, there were there was there were these couple of individuals who let that let slip the secret out about the number one Spanish company. That's pretty much all that Franco was aware of. I think. I mean, I, I've not seen anything that tells me otherwise. However, um, you know, Spain at the time did do deals with Germany, Italy, and France, especially France, to ensure that certain individuals on certain lists were sent back to Spain, and there's, there's very well-documented stories of key politicians, etc. And if you were basically mostly in specific units, specific brigades or specific divisions in the Republican army, it didn't matter if you were then in the French army or the Spanish or the British army later or another army later, it, um, by virtue of being, of being in one of those units during the Spanish Civil War, you were on a list. So, you know, there were always going to be people on those lists. Um, so, so I, yeah, I think there was some awareness that there were Spaniards fighting, um, you know, fight, could continue the fight because um, in the British Army, yeah. Um, but of course, you know, you, you're talking about, you know, again, another story in itself, this whole business of Spaniards who, um, who, were, who were in the resistance of France and the Marquis. I mean, that's a huge, you know, it's a huge thing that's still not properly recognised. You know? Right, okay. Actually, it wasn't until the... 70s that France recognized the role that Spaniards had in their resistance and in the liberation of France. So, it's, you know, in order for us to understand that in Britain, you know, it, it's still a huge issue. And, in, and even in Spain, there are, there are, there have been a lot of people who've been writing about it in Spain, but it's still, 
it's still a little muddied, I'd say, it's still a little unclear. But I mean, I think you've got some elements of the Spaniards who ended up in parts of the British Army that were very elite. And I talked about the SAS, for example. The Spaniards who were in the SAS were, were doing very, very hard and very, very, um, you know, daring do operations, you know, and, and these individuals um, would, would have been members of teams that would have gone out to actually specifically target either individuals, groups of individuals, or, or target infrastructure, blowing up bridges or roads, or whatever, things like that. And, and that in itself, you know, is you, you, having that insider information of being able to speak a language or, or understanding geography better is always going to be something that's, you know, there's always going to be that in the back of your mind. So, for example, apart from one of the 10 Spaniards who were in the SAS, they all changed their names to English names. Oh, wow. Um, because obviously they had that worry about about being captured and everything else. You know, the only one who didn't was a guy called Rafael Ramos. Rafael Ramos, from a pretty well-to-do family uh, in Barcelona, was kind of ignored by his family to a certain extent um, and sent to Madrid and was looked after by a foster family, which, um, according to his daughter, looked after him better and he he liked a lot more than his own parents. His his, his, his parents were. Uh, had a, a publishing company, Editorial, uh, and, and they, they printed as well. And he ended up being involved in that after the war. But he 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 um, he managed to escape um, uh, a prisoner of war camp at the end of the Spanish Civil War, and he joined the French Foreign Legion. But uh, by the time he joined the French Foreign Legion, um, it was quite late in the quite late in the day. And rather than being sent to a unit, he went to the training depot. But he was immediately put into a into a, like a, a labour camp in North Africa, and he stayed there until. Uh, torch happened in 1942 and then he went to SAS selection became a member of the SAS and he was in second SAS which is where the majority where, where all of these 10 Spaniards were there were other Spaniards in the French and the Belgian SAS because by the beginning of 1944 you had five SAS regiments one and two were mostly British three four and five three and four were French and five were Belgian there weren't any Spaniards in, in five but there were Spaniards in three and four because they had fought with the free French and then went into the French SAS. So Rafael Ramos, amazing story. You know, he he, he fought in one of these uh, operations, daring do operations, something about behind enemy lines. He got the military medal. You know, he he, he was you know a, a very very brave man. There were two other Spaniards on that operation as well. So it was called Operation Tombolo in the, um, in the north of or, of Italy uh, to the south of Milan. And um, you know he he he. He and the other two were, you know, amazing individuals who, who did amazing things. Sadly, one of those uh, others died. Um, um, he was a, a Basque, a man called Gusto Valerdi, who changed his name to Robert Bruce. Um, and he was killed, sadly, in that operation. But then you've got other Spaniards who, 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 were, who were in other parts of the SAS, who, who did operations in France and Germany, you know, um, Going back to the Italy operation, the third Spaniard in that group was Francisco Geronimo, the guy who had escaped and evaded in Crete, who was in 50 Middle East Commando, you know, and he was good friends with Justo Valerdi because Justo Valerdi and he had been in 50 Middle East Commando together and had been in the French Foreign Legion before that. So for Francisco Geronimo, that was obviously a hard, a hard end of an operation when he lost probably his closest friend, wow. having been with him since the end, you know, end of the Spanish Civil War probably. So you know there, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of stories like that uh, you know and you've got a couple of other examples of 
Spaniards who were trained by the SOE uh, separately to the ones in Britain who were in North Africa. You know, um, there's a, a Canovas, there's a Sergeant Canovas, for example, who, uh, who uh, knew the area uh, around Foix really well because his family had moved there at the end of the Spanish Civil War. And he became a member of the SOE and was trained as a parachutist. And he parachuted in. He got the military medal um, for helping the Spanish Maquis, who pretty much single-handedly took Foix. Um, and he got a military medal there as well. So you've got some amazing stories there. And then you've also got, you know, uh, sad stories of Spaniards, for example. There's two Basques who both joined the airborne forces. One of them landed on D-Day. He was killed a, a week or so later. Uh, he was in the parachute regiment. Another one, uh, he, was, he, he was called Echevarria. Um, and then another one called Jose Irala, another Basque. And th these two Basques were Basque refugee children from 1937. Oh, really? Who, who, who'd come to Britain. Wow. Um, uh, and who'd never gone back for family reasons or whatever it might be. Yeah. So volunteered to join the British Army. Uh, yeah, so um, Echevarria joined the parachute regiment and uh, Jose Irala joined the, um, joined the reconnaissance corps uh, and he was, in, he was in Arnhem. Both of them were sadly killed, um, you know, one, one shortly after D-Day and the other one at Arnhem. So their stories are incredible as well. So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty more stories. I mean, you know, it's, mm. it's something that's, that's, you know, quite compelling for me. I've just got to make sure I do these individuals justice. I don't think I will, in the book, be able to cover everything that I would like, because I think otherwise I'd be writing the Encyclopedia Britannica. But um, I think, you know, I think it'll end up being hopefully something that does these, these these men justice and at the end of the war they really were it's a difficult time for a lot of them obviously because they didn't really know what was going to happen to them a, a, a lot of them were given uh, given uh, the, the opportunity to settle in the uk straight away pow's the ones in the sas the one in the spanish a number of spanish companies the ones in the middle east commandos they were all given the opportunity the ones who'd been recruited in north africa who volunteered in north africa who had ended up in the united kingdom were told that they were probably going to be sent back to North Africa. And this is where Agustin Roaventura comes in. Um, he was part of a delegation of people that traveled down to London to meet up with Labour MPs to um, uh, try and get them to uh, allow uh, Spaniards to stay in Britain. And, and luckily they, they were allowed to, and hence why the Spanish Exercises um, Association was, um, was set up and things like that. And you know they carried on kind of continuing this fight um, against um, Franco, the Franco regime in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. And, you know, they, they ended up, you know, laying a wreath at the Cenotaph and all these other things, just like any other. You know, I've got photos of them in typical British uh, veteran uniforms, you know, blazer, regimental patch on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the chest, you know, bright buttons and their medals on their, on their you know, on, on their jackets, you know, um, you know, just like, and with a regimental tie, whatever it might be, just like any other veteran. So very, very proud of what they did. But with that Spanish kind of twist. Yeah, I was just about to say, with the Spanish twist, yeah. Yeah, and they, they you know, they, they, you know they, they were all active members of the Spanish, you know, expat community, you know. Some of the SAS members ended up um, settling in, you know, uh, South Wales, you know, a few of them lived on the same street. I think they were very close because of the nature of their job. A lot of the others were all very close as well, you know, but, you know, and a lot of them weren't able to go back to Spain until Franco, you know, Franco died, you know, quite, mm. a, quite an epic story, really. So, so, yeah, so then, I mean, there's a lot there. There's a, there's a lot to take in and I've just got to finish writing. 
Well, I look forward to reading it. Yeah, when, whenever it comes out. Uh, yeah. When's yeah. it due? I don't really know. I was hoping to get it finished uh, early this year, but it's not happened. The nature of my job, uh, because I'm in the army, it's been quite busy, as you can imagine, this last year. So um, I'm, I'm plodding away. My plan is to hopefully finish it at the end of 2022. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Sean. No problem, Sam. No problem. Anytime. Thank you.